Good morning. I'm Pastor Eric Samborski. I just want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us. We're on every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're right here in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. And what we're doing is we're looking to start small groups so that we can talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together. We can start that in, in your home. You can come to my home, however we need to work that out. We are trying to be disciples ourselves and then make disciples of Jesus Christ to follow him. So you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us. We're going to be posting more and more video content that'll be teaching and preaching as the time goes on here just to help us to look more into these spiritual truths and give you something else besides the radio program. And if you need something, you want to talk to us, you want to pray with somebody, then please email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. You know, everybody's looking for something to give their life to, to be a part of a cause that's way bigger than ourselves. And that's what God's resistance is all about, the most important cause that anyone could be a part of. Last week, I talked about resisting self, resisting that indwelling tyrant, that something in us, that corruption in us that saps all the good we'd like to do. It's like we have our highest ideal and we can't get there, that, that highest sense of oughtness before God, and yet we feel like we just fail again and again and again. Today, we're going to be talking about resisting the devil. We're going to be answering the question, who is the devil? What does he do? Why do I need to know this? Why do I need to resist him? So I encourage you to pay attention during this broadcast. And now it's time for us to listen in on today's briefing. If we look at society with any degree of honesty, I think we have to come to the acknowledgement that there is evil, that evil does exist. I think that's undeniable across the board. So the question is, where does evil come from? Some people would say, well, it kind of comes from our upbringing. It really depends on our environment, who we were raised by. But then I would ask you this question, where did it come from in the lives of those who raised us? Well, then you might say, well, it came from you know their parents. And then it just keeps going farther and farther and farther and farther back, and you continue down this line of questioning all the way to the beginning. In other words, there has to be a first cause for evil, because we're not just trying to figure out where did evil come from in this person's life, but where did evil come from altogether? The Bible does tell us of the origin of evil. We're told about when the world was created, and then Adam and Eve, they're there on this earth, and Eve meets uh, the devil himself, which uh, takes on the form of a serpent. The serpent deceives Eve to disobey God and partake of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and she persuades her husband to do the same thing, Adam. Then sin enters into a paradise world. It causes a mess now where death is entered, destruction and they are kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they cannot be in that pure place with the impurity of sin inside of their being. 
Now you listen to this and you think, well, that just seems mythical. You know, it, it's a myth. It's and myths are a convenient way to cope with life, and and in this particular, to cope with evil in life. Myths help us to understand abstract ideas more concretely. How can any intelligent person believe this biblical account? It sounds just like a myth. I would ask the same question about evolution. How can anyone believe that everything came from nothing? That's essentially what evolution would boil down to in its first cause. Everything came from nothing. All the order that we see came from nothing. No intelligent design, no nothing. The only reason I bring that up is to say that every single one of us has to have some measure of faith because our reason can only go so far. And just because we can't reason certain things out doesn't make them untrue. It just makes them a little difficult for us to understand. So I'm putting us there on that ground. But how is it that people end up doing the most atrocious crimes and to do that repeatedly throughout successive generations ever since the world began? There was a man named Richard Beasley, known as the um, Craigslist killer. He was sentenced to death for murdering four people. The first guy he murdered was just to run from the police because he had a warrant on his arrest and he needed to get a new identity. So he found a guy that looked like himself and then killed that man and took on his identity. And then after that, he said, you know what? That was pretty easy. So he continued to then lure victims in to kill them and to steal their possessions in order for him to make a living, all because of money. Think of that just for a moment. Taking someone's life so that you can get a few grand? What is it that causes such disrespect for human life? Is there no worth in the life of every human? The devil has injected such perversity in the hearts of vulnerable people. And I say vulnerable people because they're the ones that oftentimes are opened up more and more to these really heinous suggestions of evil. The devil is the one that pretends to be your friend. He says, nobody understands you. Nobody knows your pain. I know your pain. Where everyone else doesn't, I feel you. I know you. And then he tries to minister to the baser part of our being as if we deserve certain gratifications at the expense of others. You know, you've been deprived and all this. You need this for yourself. And what I'm saying is there is a first cause. There is that evil being that is the cause behind all of the existence of evil. We do have a choice to make whether or not we're going to go along with this evil being, but that's where all of this came from. There is a devil, and he's not just a force, but he is a fallen, rebellious being that is filled with the absence of God. The question comes up, who is this devil? There's a lot of different answers to that. We look inside of literature and we see the duality of good and evil displayed in so many different ways, sometimes personifying the devil in more depth and detail than in others. But we're interested in what the Bible has to tell us about who this devil is. The Bible tells us that he is the prince of the power of the air. If we look in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, we're told, uh, this is Paul speaking to people that were already Christians. Where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, there's that phrase, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So let's back up for a second. We're told 
that he is the prince of the power of the air. That word prince is a word archon. It's where we get archangel, archbishop. That, that word archon means the first in authority and power. So we're told that the devil, he is the prince. He is the first in authority and power. He's the first in authority and power in the ruling of the government of what? It says the air. And the air literally here means that atmospheric region. I can't say that the devil has ultimate authority over existence, but he does have the first authority and power of rule of the government of that unseen atmospheric region that somehow just blankets our existence here on earth and is in control of the government of the world in some aspect. That's what the Bible tells us. Then we're told that this air, in other places in the Bible, it also is described as the heavenlies. The Bible speaks in pluralities of heavens. Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. The third heaven is where God is on his throne, in God's immediate presence. That's the heaven of heavens, the third heaven. By parity of reason, if there's a third heaven, then logic would tell us that there must be a first and a second heaven. Otherwise, why would Paul speak such a phrase? We find in the scriptures that it talks about on the days of creation that God created the heavens and the earth. That could be the first, second, and third heavens that he created at those times. But when we look at the expanse that he's describing in the stars and the sun, the first heaven seems to be the sky that we can see. He says, look up into the heavens. You've heard that expression before. We're looking up into the sky. And really at night, we can see beyond the atmosphere of just this earth. We can see out into space where there's stars and sometimes planets and things that can be seen. So that's the first heaven that sky that we can see, that, that expanse that we can see. And I would say the second heaven is that unseen place where these demonic forces act, you know, where you and I can't see. We read in Ephesians 6, chapter 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. So let's back up here as we're talking about this atmospheric region, the prince of the power of the air. He is the first in authority over all the power of this atmospheric region, this second heaven, this place where demons and evil forces work. And Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 drills in here telling us that there's these principalities, these powers, these rulers of the darkness of the world against spiritual wickedness in high places. Here's where the spiritual battle is taking place. We look into the word principalities, and it literally is talking about rulers of different tiers. In other words, there's a person that's in charge of, say, I'm just doing this for figures, but in charge of, say, like a thousand. Then under that, there are 10 that are in charge of hundreds. And then after that, there are, say, 10 in each of those group, and they're in charge of tens. There's different tiers of rulership. So he says, we're wrestling against these different tiers of rulerships. We're also uh, against powers and those that the powers are any delegated authorities, whether it be those rulers or whether it be uh, any of those people that are subject to these tiers of rulership, they have these delegated powers. So 
we're wrestling against these tiers of rulership. We're wrestling against these delegated powers. And then it says uh, the rulers of the darkness of this world, the world dominators of this present darkness, the world dominators of this present darkness. In other words, we are wrestling against these evil and wicked forces that are trying to dominate this world for the kingdom of the devil himself. So that goes into not only individuals' lives, but in whole societies and government and any place that you can possibly think of where the devil can gain a foothold and to rule in a dominating manner oppressively with darkness over the entire world. This is this second kingdom that you and I can't see with the naked eye. This second kingdom is made up of a whole host of wicked beings in high places, which is outside of our senses at large. So here we find he's described as the prince of the power of the air. Here's this spiritual battle that's going on that you and I can't see, and the devil is in charge of the whole thing. If we look in 2 Corinthians 4.4, we're told, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this, as well as Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, which we read before, it says that spirit works now in the children of disobedience. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, we read, in whom, that is the unbeliever, and in the earth, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why? Lest, or for fear, that the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. In other words, this prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, blinds those that reject Christ that do not believe him. So that only stands to reason that he would also have a blinding influence over Christians even, if they would allow him. This is that devil. This is his power structure. This is his kingdom. This kingdom of darkness really does exist, as well as the kingdom of light, which we're told that Christ is the king and prince over. In case you've just tuned in, you are listening to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the world, and the devil. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. So what does this devil do? The devil takes advantage of anyone, anyone that he can. 2 Corinthians 2.11, we're told, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So it, the devil is working nefariously and subtly behind the scenes in our minds, in our lives, in our society trying to take advantage of situations and people. That is what he's trying to do. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, we read, 
Paul saying, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Here we find this word beguiled, which means deceiving. The devil is trying to deceive us, trying to deceive not only in this verse, it talks about deceiving Christians, but anybody. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, his work is deception. We read in 2 Thessalonians 2 9, it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So he deceives through great signs and wonders, these great miraculous things. You know, we find shows uh, that are on television and books that are written and psychics and all that we have this fascination with the paranormal. We have this fascination with the supernatural and spiritual world. And we're told the devil uses that to deceive people, to make great signs and wonders and lying wonders, they're called. How does he do this? He does it through our mind. He has access to our mind to interject certain thoughts and themes that go through our mind. And if we're not careful, they just kind of go in without filter, without check, and they end up influencing us in some way. So he deceives us through the mind. He deceives us through the affections and lusts that we have. And now some of these affections aren't necessarily evil in and of themselves, but how we gratify them can then turn to evil. And so he deceives us even through those. Also, we find a little later in that same chapter in the 14th and 15 verses, uh, we're told, no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. So here we find a little bit more of that deception. Not only will he do it in some of these outskirt ways and these subtle ways, he'll do it in the other subtle way where he'll dress himself up in in righteous robes, so to speak, in order to appear like he's loving, he's kind, he's godly, he cares about virtue. You can find that kind of rhetoric in our society all over the place, especially in politicians. They tout that they're trying to do things that are good for us and trying to play on people's uh, emotional heartstrings so that they can gain more and more power. And where do you think that influence comes from? It comes from the devil, the king of the kingdom of darkness. And it goes inside of the church. It's not just outside of the church, but in the church, he poses as somebody who loves God and walks with him and then leads many people astray. We find some of the great televangelists, some of the great, I say great, they're only great because of the numbers of people that have been duped and watched them, the the numbers of people that throw their money at this kind of a person. But he said that the devil does that too. He deceives people through these means. So we need to be wide awake and see that. And the way that we're wide awake is by soaking ourselves in the scripture so that we can understand who's God and who's not God. It's been said that people that are experts at pointing out counterfeit money, they don't bother studying all the different types of counterfeit money because there's probably endless versions of counterfeit money, but they take a lot of time and all of their time studying real money. And when they know real money well enough, whenever the counterfeit comes, they can push it out. It's the same with us. You and I as people need to know the truth as God has revealed to us in the scripture so that when the counterfeit comes, 
We may not be able to explain it with great swelling words, but there's something in us that says something's off, something's not right. So he's trying to take advantage of us by deceiving us and in this way posing as righteous. 1 Thessalonians 2.18, we're told, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Here we find that Paul went to Thessalonica. He was speaking to the people there. There was great persecution. He had to flee earlier than he wanted to. He wanted to come back and continue to teach these people and minister to them. He said that was his desire. But then he also testifies that Satan hindered him. So the devil hinders. He fights against any truly good endeavor, whether it's, it doesn't have to be just forwardly Christian. It's wherever truth, good, and virtue is, the devil is there fighting against it, hindering that from going forward because he hates it. We're also told that the devil is the tempter. In 1 Thessalonians 3.5, Paul says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. So we know that the devil does tempt us to do those things that are wrong, those things that violate God's law and that oftentimes violate our conscience. We also know that the devil is the encourager of pride. In 1 Timothy 3.6, Paul says that no novice is to be a pastor, an elder, or anything like that, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And that is what happened to the devil. We are told that he wanted to raise his throne up to the height of God's and to be like God, and because of that, he was cast down. In 1 Timothy 5.15, we read, For some are already turned aside after Satan. Satan is also seeking to take advantage of people by recruiting followers. Whether he's recruiting them knowingly or ignorantly doesn't matter to him. He is just trying to do that, taking people captive. In 2 Timothy 2.26, it says that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. How does the devil take people captive? He does it through our mind. There is a war on our mind. He does it through our lusts, our desires. And lust isn't just evil, it's desires. He does it through our ambitions. He does it through, sometimes he possesses people uh, if they have just kind of gone into some passive state and allowed the devil to invade their person. Whatever way doesn't matter to him, he just tries to take people captive. So I said in the beginning, we need to resist this devil. James 4, 7 through 10, we read, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. So this cry is for resistance against the devil and submission to God. It's, he's speaking to the sinner, and he's speaking to the believer. You must resist the devil who will enslave you in sin until your dying day if you let him. 1 John 3.8 tells us, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's what Christ is here to do, to destroy the works of the devil. 1 Peter 5.8-10, we read, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, 
walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. That call was to the believer. Even to the believer, you must resist the devil unless sin overtake you again because he's crouching around like a lion trying to devour anybody. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. That is where a Christian is supposed to be living, so close to God and kept by God that the wicked one cannot touch him. That's God's will for us. So why must you resist the devil? Revelation 20.10 or Revelation 20.10 says, The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell was made for the devil and his angels, but those that follow his rule in this world will share his fate. So we need to resist him because we know where he's going to end up in a lake of fire tormented forever. We need to resist him because he's the arch enemy of all good and the source of all good who is God. We need to resist the devil because he is a defeated foe. He is the great unsuccessful rebel. In Paradise Lost, we read this out of the mouth of Satan. Is this the region, this the soil, the clime, said then the lost archangel, this the seat that we must change for heaven, this mournful gloom, for that celestial light? Be it so, since he who now is sovereign can dispose and bid what shall be right. Farthest from him is best, whom reason hath equaled force, hath made above his equals. Farewell, happy fields, where joy forever dwells. Hail, horrors, hail, infernal world, and thou profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor, one who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I be still the same, and what I should be all, but less than he whom thunder hath made greater, here at least we shall be free. The Almighty hath not built here, for his envy will not drive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice to reign is worth ambition, though in hell, better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. He is a defeated foe, though he is continuously rebelling. He is the tyrant of tyrants. His ambition is to dominate the world with darkness. That starts with individuals to dominate individuals with darkness. And if it starts with you and you are successful in resisting the devil, then you may win others to this great resistance. You must resist the devil because a refusal to resist is a decision to embrace. Don't you want to be part of the solution instead of the problem? If you want to join the resistance against corruption, tyranny, and injustice, you must resist the devil. Thank you for listening to another broadcast of God's Resistance. I hope as you've listened to this, you realize that we are in a warfare and that there is an unseen realm that's over top of us that controls far more than you and I may have presently realized. 
He is trying to dominate the world with darkness, and it starts with individuals. Are you saved from your sin? If you're not, you are likely put to sleep and under the slumber of this ruler of the darkness of this world. And you need to resist the devil in order to break free. You need to come to the feet of Christ and confess your sins and repent and turn from your sins and have faith in Christ so that you can be broken from these chains and you can serve God acceptably. Christian, you need to resist the devil because the devil is trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy the church and he's trying to destroy Christ. Will you resist the devil or will you give up the fight? There is no giving up the fight if you're a Christian. We must press on and endure all the way to the end. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. as we're going to discuss what it means to resist the world, and we're going to open that up in more depth. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, or if you need to talk with somebody, or you need to pray with someone, please contact us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance, G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. You can also email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com. You can call us at 570-362-7782. We are local here in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area, so please reach out to us. If you have heard this and God has touched your heart and you've got questions, join the resistance, God's resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission to the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.